0: Right, we're actually going to have our kids stay in the service with us this morning. That was awkward for you. All right. Okay, so again, the noise helps us stay awake, right? Again, thanks for all who helped out last night. And uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, I was warm um, in my vehicle, so I hope, sorry, I didn't say it all last night, I'd like held my tongue back and I was warm. we <laughs> and I had to turn the heat down at one point. Um, no, but we, were, we do have some of these uh, invitations for the Christmas Eve service left as well. And so those are in the back if, if you know someone, a neighbor, a family member, a coworker that might uh, be interested in joining us. Christmas Eve, I told Kim about halfway through, I had a panic attack because we have about 2,000 of these. If 10% came, there's 200. What are we going to do? There's no space. Anyway, uh, the Lord knows. He's got figure it figured out. I'm not worried about it. Um, but I really am worried about it, so we'll figure it out. This would be awesome. Uh, but again that's in the back those are available for you to take and to you know if you have uh, individuals you'd love to invite and then just a reminder next uh sunday following the service uh, we have a christmas lunch and yankee swap here all right so we'd love for you to plan on staying after our worship gathering um gifts ten dollars or less all right um, that's the goal. So it's not looking to see who can outspend somebody, but ten dollars or less. Uh, the meal's potluck, so you can bring some food to contribute. That'd be awesome. I think we said ideally you could let Charlotte or Roberta know what you're bringing. Probably helpful, just so again we don't end up with ten of the same exact thing. That happens we'll just eat lots of the same thing it'll be fine all right uh, and again we shoot to get done by like 1 30 2 o'clock right in that range will want to take up your whole afternoon and rob will run the yankee swap because he did last year he remembers that or not but he says yes that's good i never asked him so yes all right and then on the tree back here again is just uh our church has taken on just two families to be able to support and provide christmas for um, and so those are on the back Those are able to be taken, but those gifts have to come back next week, next Sunday that is the 15th. So you can bring those gifts back. These are families who just Christmas is not going to happen present-wise for them. Uh, If others are able just to help out this way. And so if you're able to help out, that's awesome. Uh, We just want to care for people because people are made in God's image and they matter. And so those come back next week, the 15th, and uh, please don't forget that. There's still some items left in the back as well. And then bring them back unwrapped, we'll wrap them. All right, so it's super easy for you as possible. You're willing to help out that way. Okay, I think it's everything. Perfect. Awesome. Well, usually I would say, take out your Bible and turn to this passage, but that's not how this Sunday morning is going to work. We are starting uh, this week a Christmas series. I think I told you last week it wasn't gonna happen for a couple weeks, but uh, man, the Lord led, and so we're gonna follow. And so we're starting a new series called The Christmas Story, and really this series is going to go for five, four weeks, but really five times together uh, because that includes the Christmas Eve uh, service. I'm going to wrap that in with all of this. And, and the goal is this, that my hope, and my prayer is that this series is just going to help us see that, that within the grand story of Christmas, I mean, overarching that story of the, the birth of Jesus, there's numerous stories at play. Really, really, the birth of Jesus is part of the grand narrative of all the scriptures and how, man, there's so many other stories that lead into this and develop this story to be what it is, um, and that is the saving plan of salvation for all people who would follow and trust in Christ. Uh, and, and there's so many pieces of that. I think sometimes we come into Christmas and we just kind of zero in, boom, we think just Bethlehem, nativity scenes, major mangers, camels, and... Pregnant people on camels, on donkeys, whatever she was on. All right, we think of those things. That's all we think about. But there's so many other pieces that come into that. So today, we're going to look at just the promises of God. Now, the promises of God really lead into the birth of Jesus. Next week is going to be God's preparing. Looking at, and interesting if you look at the words of John the Baptist about who this Jesus was actually going to be. I know it's going to be kind of mess up your timeline of life right now because John the Baptist was around, right, talking after Jesus was already born, but he flashes in to give us a perspective when we look at that manger and this, this newborn child, man. What was he all about? John helps us see that. Uh, the following week, we're going to look at God's people, Mary and Joseph, and just the call and response of obedience. And that, honestly, if we just would, would just be honest as people, obedience or listening and following God is just hard sometimes. And it was hard for them. And we'll look into their story within this grand story. Christmas Eve, look at God's presence, the birth of Christ, and then on the following Sunday, God's hope, that what Christ offers us. All that wrapped up into the Christmas story. And I think it's always worth just mentioning, it's helpful if you can do it, if I can do it, to, to challenge, try to avoid the challenge anyway, of just saying, I know it. Just saying, hey, it's the Christmas story, I get it, it's mundane. Right? But also then trying to avoid also the chaotic of just say what else is there? And kind of grab a thing, but just kind of just settle in it and to, to rest in what God's word says. Because this story really is pivotal to how you view your life. How the God of the universe works and continues to work all things according to his purposes is wrapped up in that manger. And so with this week, God's promises. That's what we'll talk about for the next little bit together. Let me ask you a question. What are, what are some significant promises people make in life? God, you can, you can talk back again. This is okay. Marriage, okay? What else? That's it. I mean, all right. I mean, the bar's pretty high here. All right. Everything else is, ah, it doesn't matter. What else? Anything else? Significant promises that people make. They're going to do this. Be a good parent. I've never made that promise once. <laughs> Noah, what do you think? Okay, so follow Jesus, okay? Yeah, home mortgage. I have that written down. Paying your mortgage. That's a promise that you're making. What was that? Where you're going to live? Okay, you kind of make the... Paying your taxes, Noah says. All right, interesting. All right. Parent tax coming up, by the way. I thought just college loans. You're saying you're going to pay those things back. A job is a promise in some ways. You're saying I'm going to show up and, and do the things asked of me. All right, so, so that's kind of what promises, big promises we think of. Let me ask this. What are most of those promises built upon? Okay, maybe your own ability, okay. Yeah, trust, right? Most of them are built upon trust. A promise is built upon trust that both those parties who are saying something will actually keep up their end of the bargain. So in other words, a mortgage, right, is, or a car loan, any of those things, is, is trust that the bank is not going to come and take your home at night or take your vehicle right, in the evening if you're willing to continue to make your monthly payments. There, there's a trust, there's a relationship here. You'll keep your job, right, if you show up and do your job. Like, you'll, you'll keep it. There, there, there's work being done on both sides here. And really, you know, there was a day when, when a lot of agreements were done with just a simple what? It was a handshake. I don't know that era of life, okay? I don't remember those things. But there was a day when that was when most things were done. And now things are much more formal. We have contracts and agreements and stipulations. And we have stipulations, right, that are on top of in case the contract gets broken and what all has to roll out after that. Because trust is something that is lacking a lot of times. At times, right, the backup plans are there because we we have fear That the other part of your individual will not actually follow through with what they've said. So I think that a lot of what you and I and how we interact with people in agreement settings, it's largely built upon what you've gleaned in life. And so in other words, how you trust people now is built upon how you've been treated in the past. Fair to say? How you kind of walk through relationships how you interact with organizations or entities even, it really is built upon your preceding experiences. Sometimes the experiences of others, but I think largely the experiences of ourselves. So much of how we operate today is built on the foundation of situations that have formed us and shaped us. It really is fascinating that you have concrete views and stipulations and views in your life that statistically began to get formed between the ages of 12 and 14. Like you, you may not recognize that, but you are operating out of principles of life that were formulated way back when you were in middle school. Sorry, junior high for some of us. All right. And those viewpoints, maybe not, don't think the exact same thing, but those underlining viewpoints and characteristics are being held onto and they begin to wrap themselves into other things that you view in life as you get older. And I think, again, one of those really is trust. They may not always be based on reality, but they've been based on a trust that, that what you've experienced or, or decide upon must be true. Now, you put on, on those experiences the idea that we're skeptics, a lot of us. We look at things and we kind of say, hey, it can't be that good or it can't be all that wonderful or we don't really truly believe all those things. And then there are others of us who are different. They're called Optimists, right? And they truly believe that, and all possibilities could take place. That despite what their experiences have showed them, man, the sky is the limit. See, so much of how we view and interpret situations, it's formed off who we are and what we've walked through. Those things tell us what we should think and feel and decide how we're supposed to. Before a lot of times, we hear the phrase, right? It doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't feel right in my gut. That comes from something. The large landscape and the horizon of your life is often seen through the lens simply of what you and I accept as truth. And it impacts all the things. So this season comes every year. The Christmas season. It's a time of good cheer, it's a time of generosity, it's a time of fun, and those are all great things. But I think the question needs to be asked, is that a full enough view? Is that a full enough view of what this time of year is meant to be about? Within traditions and times with friends and family lies this underlying story of Jesus. The story is not one that's isolated, but an event within the grand larger story that dates thousands of years prior to the coming of Jesus. And so my hope today really is to take kind of a 30,000 foot view of the Christmas story. To kind of fly high over top and just look in to timeline of history and, and kind of ask, what do we see? What does this view give us? And then how does that view of what we see in the 30,000 view of the scriptures impact what we think, and who we think God is today. So kind of with all that thought in mind, let me just pray, ask God to be present, and we're just going to go, okay? God, may just help this to make sense today. May my words be from you and be clear. May your scripture speak louder than me. In your name, amen. So as we walk through this, we need to begin with just some foundational definition. So we talked about the word agreement. We've talked about the word of, of having trust, but what could be another word driven out maybe from the Old Testament thought process, if you have any kind of thought of that and church background, would be a what? An agreement between two people could be called a what? A covenant. So what is a covenant? Well, a covenant, just for definition's sake, is this. A binding commitment between two people or parties that obligates them to deal fairly with one another. All right, so it's this binding commitment that when someone covenants with somebody else, to these both people, both parties, it, it obligates them to be faithful, right, to one another and to the commitment they've made. What comes to mind when you hear that word covenant? Anything coming to your mind? What type of covenant might we consider this under? A marriage covenant. Right? That came to my mind for sure. At the outset of every marriage, typically, is two individuals saying, I'm in lock, stock, and barrel. And there's a reason that that minister usually says, right, till death do you part. No one typically stands there and says, oh, I'm just going to hope it works out for the best. No, we're, we're, they say we're covenanting together. We're, we're coming together with this covenant, this binding commitment where both of us will be obligated to deal faithfully to the commitments that they're making Marriages are, are pretty significant, and the words that are said in those ceremonies actually carry some significant weight. And so before we begin, we, this word covenant is really is an important word through the lens of Scripture, that 30,000-foot view. Just a few weeks ago, we were working in our Genesis series, if you remember this at all. We'll come back to it after Christmas season. This Genesis series, right, God creates, man rebels and enters the world, and what was once amazing is now broken and hard. And if you're going to remember anything, what you see in that, Genesis chapter 3 specifically, were consequences that were being given out. There were consequences for the rebellion away from God and his commands. Right? Remember to Eve, there was going to be pain in childbirth, it said, and every woman that's had a kid says yes, affirmed, that one came through. All right? it says that there'll be kind of a disruption in relationship between Eve and Adam as well, that what was, was mutually good will now kind of be working at to kind of get their own and get what's best for them and may not look out for the other the best way possible for adam work was going to be hard the ground was going to be hard to labor in and then death was present now both physical and spiritual but there was one other consequence given out and who was that to the serpent the serpent was there the deceiver and god said this, that a serpent you'll crawl on your stomach from here on out and if in the future you will have a bruised or crushed head and in that sentence god himself is speaking into the future god himself is declaring something that will happen now again every human will say today we agree those things have come to fruition the best that we understand having kids is not fun marriages are hard if not all relationships are difficult. It's, you go to work, and work is not always pleasurable. The day does not go as you planned all the time. And we know life in the term of a cycle, life and death. And so those things make sense to us. When we, we hear this serpent idea of this future judgment that we've doled out on him, we maybe don't know what to do with that. But in that sentence, God is declaring a future consequence. The serpent, the one that helped to break out from God's presence in the garden, God would not allow it to remain that way. What the serpent helped break, God would restore. And he declared on the serpent a promise. A promise that he intended fully to fulfill. And so what do we see, even just by jumping back again 30,000 feet to Genesis 3, we begin to see that God is willing to make promises. He's willing to make statements that are are promises that he's going to hold himself to. And and again, I don't think any of you are going to argue back that life isn't hard, work is difficult, relationships can be challenging, and we know birth and death. No one's going to argue those things back with me. And so we get now to, God has proved himself in those areas. Then can he also prove himself with his judgment and his consequence that he gave to the serpent? And so when you hear this idea that God gives and makes promises, your brain really can go one of two ways. Trust that he can keep them, or perhaps we're skeptics or hesitant. and We're unsure if God will actually keep his promise. Well, as the timeline of the scriptures continues to roll forward, we come to this story called the story of Noah. It's this, this flood account. And in that moment, God uses Noah to save humanity from the flood waters as well as animals, really for the sole purpose of restarting creation. And it's fascinating if you kind of look, which we'll get into in Genesis, you look at that, that Noah experience. He really is tasked with his start again. He tells Noah to be fruitful, multiply. Have you heard those words before? Genesis chapter three, chapter two. Be fruitful, multiply. To have dominion, to rule and care for things, to fill the earth. And within that event, that that huge cataclysmic flood event, out comes this thing called the Noahic covenant. Look at Genesis chapter six. It'll be on the screen for you. 18 and 19 says this. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. And so maybe you begin to start to see that word covenant here being used, right? You see God establishing this relationship with Noah, an agreement. What does Noah have to do? You can keep that up there, Mike. That'd be awesome. What does Noah have to do? Go into the ark. When Noah enters that ark, he is saying, God, I'm I'm trusting you in this. And then what does God say that he will do? And he will take care of them. See, God makes his covenant, and he makes it with Noah. Notice that, that God makes his covenant with Noah. God does not go to Noah and say, hey, what do you think about this? See, God is a sovereign creator of all. He's the one who sets up the covenant with Noah. And as Noah follows these instructions, God will indeed keep up his end of the bargain. So Noah builds the ark. He goes in with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, two of each animal. By doing this, God will indeed save them. And then after the flood, right, the waters go down. This kind of Noahic covenant is established. Genesis 8, 21 and 22. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, God said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. In this Noah covenant, God promises to never destroy the earth as he did in the flood. Life will be preserved and continue on. And so you see that, right? You see that Noah covenant that God promises never again to do what he did in the flood. And you see it being upheld today, don't you? You're here. You're present. You're living and breathing. Life has been preserved and life has continued on. God once again has kept his promise. As the scripture continues to unfold throughout the Old Testament, the narrative moves forward. God remains involved for his, with his people, and he remains involved in his creation. Next, we come to this, not in sequential order, as far as every single event, but the, another larger event that we come to is called the Abrahamic Covenant. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's household to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and you, and you, sorry, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You have Noah choosing this individual called Abraham. It is formed out of this, this Abrahamic covenant. What is it? Well, there's three things really wrapped up in this. They are the promise of land, the promise of descendants, and the promise of blessing and redemption. Listen again. To, I'll read that verse one more time. You can stand that screen, Mike. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you, all the families of earth, shall be blessed. See this moment, this, this Abrahamic covenant. God, in, again, in His sovereignty, meaning in His uh, rule and choosing, which which we don't get the voice in on. He's just choosing. He chooses Abraham. He says Abraham, "I'm, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to establish a people. You'll have descendants, and they'll become a great nation. And you will make my name great. And you will be a blessing." Through you, Abraham, and through your descendants, God would would mediate blessing to others. See, in this covenant, God declares to make Abraham that vessel of blessing and his descendants. And out of this covenant, God delivers on that promise, and he keeps his word. God says, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. Now, we know that physically is... Not very likely. But God begins to establish for himself a covenant people. A people who are his own. A people who are his. who People who love him and, and follow him and, and see him and for all his glory. He continues to extend that promise today. If you kept walking out the scriptures, you would come to what is called the Davidic covenant. And in this, God declares that, that through the line of, of King David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come. Listen to this passage in First Chronicles 17. It says, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me as a son. I will not make my steadfast love, take my steadfast love from him, as I look at, sorry, as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. There's a temptation here to think that, that really is are talking about Solomon, but when the words forever are being mentioned, is Solomon around anymore? And the answer is no. Solomon does build a house. He does establish God to be in the right place. He's a good king. He's a wise king. But what this is talking about is the future coming of Jesus. Jesus says, look, from David, from that line, from that genealogy, you can begin to trace that this Jesus will come. And so if you ever just kind of glean through the Bible, you perhaps have hit Matthew and the genealogy. You said, why am I listening to a bunch of names being read to me right now? And this is why. You can trace the genealogy of David all the way to Jesus. This is God keeping his promise. God has established a throne forever. The future king, this better king than any king before or after, will eventually come and rule forever, God says. This future king would be Jesus. Jesus. And we can go on and on and on in the Scriptures and point to other stories and other experiences where God has spoken and things have happened. These are just simply known as the covenants. They're large, they're big, and they actually apply to you and to me today in grand ways. See, because Abraham was saved because of his what? His faith. He believed. It was credited him as righteousness, the Scriptures say. And so, okay... Scriptures also say that, man, how has someone forgiven their sins to to trust in Christ? To have faith and to believe. And it's credited to you as righteousness. I believe when that covenant talks about, and those future descendants, it's talking about you if you're in Christ. God's faithful promise is you and it's me if you are in Christ today being fulfilled. You are part of that covenant. It's fascinating. And so I'm concerned that, that maybe, perhaps, we begin to filter God through life instead of filtering it the other way. Again, so what I mean is we kind of think about how we trust people or don't trust people. It's no secret that most of us have a problem with authority and our trust of them, right? We don't trust politics and that game. We think sports are corrupt. We think things are money grabs in most of life, and we just are Skeptical because that's just the culture we live in the things around us. We don't trust people always to have our best interests in mind. We often think people are trying to take advantage of us. When someone says, hey, uh, let me know if I can help you, we don't say, yes, help me, because we don't want to have to return that favor back. We don't want to be obligated to anybody. We want autonomy. Because we're skeptics, and we put up walls. And i Wonder and I'm concerned that perhaps that's actually how we begin to view God, because we can't trust people. We think we can't trust God, because we can't trust other authorities. We think we cannot trust a a God who created us, who loves us. We just we're, we're skeptical. But church, look, this is just a simple set of examples that that God is a promise keeping God. He is faithful to keep those promises. His promises that lead us to know him, to see him as faithful, and to see him as trustworthy. See, there's great temptation to see the Christmas story as just this tale of old. One that is simply idealistic and kind of just makes things sound nice. No one's going to look at a manger scene with Mary and Joseph and this baby and think, that looks aggressive. Most of us think, man, it just looks nice. looks palatable looks easy I'm not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not nervous about this right now but the Christmas story is meant to be far more than just a simple nice story it's meant to find this Jesus and you know, to find the words of God being fulfilled it's meant to be part of God keeping his promise to us and our faith being strengthened and encouraged because that God still cares for us today See, listen to Isaiah 9, 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you know how far ahead of the birth of Jesus those words were written? Some 700 years prior to Jesus being born. This was talking about him. This future child that would be born. This wonderful counter, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace. See, though Noah, in that experience, right, Noah was obedient, wasn't he? He was an instrument of saving for his family. He was an instrumental part of animals being here on the planet earth post-flood. Listen, as good as Noah was, Jesus is a far better Noah. Noah had the ability to save some people, but he did not have the ability to save people from their sin. Jesus alone has that. To save us from the very things that separate us from God, Jesus is a far better Noah. And though Abraham was used to start and bless a nation, Jesus is a far better Abraham. See, he brings blessing to all who would trust in him for salvation. Abraham is no longer walking around. Jesus still reigns in heaven. And his name continues to grow and call people to trust in him. And though David was a king that brought a blessing to those who led, David was not a perfect king, but he was a really good king. The kingdom ruled and, and grew under David's rule. And he had faults and errors. But Jesus is a far better king. He brings the hope of a king who will sit on his throne forever and rule well. Please don't think Jesus is a king being somehow equivalent to your view of a president or a dictator or a queen somewhere. That is not the same thing. Listen, church, the promises that God has made, it continues to be the promises he holds secure and keeps today. God does not know what it means to forget his promises. He does not know what it means to back away from his word. And the sending of Jesus' Christmas story, what it does is it reminds us of the complete faithfulness of God to keep his promises. The Christmas story reminds us that God's promises are always fulfilled. God does never, he never comes short. Listen, a parent's normal tactic to push off a decision is to tell their kid what? Maybe. And most times, maybe only means you want to delay and say no. Because maybe rarely ever comes to fruition, to be honest. Okay, at least in my house. I'm just saying no later. Yet here we see that this Christmas story is not in any way indicator of God saying, hey, just kidding, I'm not going to do that. The Christmas story is God's exact way of saying, look, I'm going to fulfill my promises to you. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to fulfill what I said back in the garden to the serpent that one day his head will be bruised. And we find that culmination that comes to fruition on the cross of Christ. And we say here all the time this time of year that in the shadow of the manger is the cross. But the birth of Jesus was to set in motion events in in history that would lead him to a cross. And on that cross when Jesus took on our sin, our brokenness, our frailty, our inability to save ourselves, in that moment the wrath of God that was deserving for us broken poured out on Jesus. Jesus is put in a grave. Satan thinks he wins. Jesus rises from that grave and that head is kicked hard. Man, that is God keeping his promise. And so Jesus, the perfect fulfillment of God's promises and his life and Jesus' words continue to carry the same promise today. So listen to Matthew 11:28. Jesus says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." You can take that to the bank. Why? What can give you any confidence? How is that trustworthy? Because Noah kept or because God kept his promise to Noah, to Abraham, through David. He showed it in Christ, and he continues to be faithful today. If you're broken today, if you're just heavy, heavy life is weighing on you, bring that to Jesus. Scripture reminds us in Paul, says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one with the heart believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You can take that to the bank. I can remember growing up I, I've been in church my entire life, and I, and I remember just thinking and wondering, like, am, am I really saved? Am I really rescued from my sin? Has God really forgiven me? Well, I, better, I better just pray again, because I'm not so sure. And, and there's value in, in, in kind of evaluating your own heart to, to, to make sure you're sure of your commitment to Christ. But man, when I once you've trusted in Christ, your Savior, man, you're in. I didn't have to wrestle. I didn't have to. And, and that was maybe perhaps just me trying to figure out on my own without having good counsel given to me. But there, there can be confidence for those who are in Christ. You confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the resurrection. You will be saved. After that, there's no like, I just, I wonder. There's no like nervousness to lay in your deathbed one day and say, Oh, here goes. There's confidence. It's so counterintuitive to our culture because we try to make death somehow okay. We call things a funeral home. We've taken the very thing that's meant to rob us from life and called it a home to make it feel okay. Death is an enemy. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. But for the follower of Jesus, it doesn't have to even be feared. And that next thing you're going to know is Jesus. Jesus. And I'm not saying you skip and run and like, oh, let's see if I can walk from this bus today. Like you still live with wisdom, but you have Jesus, and that same God has been faithful through Noah, right, through Abraham, through David, and right into that manger. See, there's great danger again in allowing our experience with people to define our relationship with God because we break promises all the time. We forget what we said. We lose track of things. But God does not. God does not break promises. He does not forget what he said. He never loses track of things. What he promises, he will keep. What is his cannot be lost. And he always delivers on his promise. Church, listen, the birth of Jesus in this Christmas story is simply a grand example of one other way that God keeps his promises. And that promise is meant to remind us that God is faithful to his people. There's a reason, I think, that God's people are called sheep. Sheep are not known for their brilliance. They're, they're, they're herded, they're corralled, they're pushed they typically follow the, the leader there in those moments. And yet, we know that Jesus is called the shepherd who loves the sheep and cares for the sheep and defends the sheep and walks along and walks with and walks through things with the sheep. That is the great hope wrapped up in this Christmas story, that this great shepherd continues to walk alongside us so my hope is that this Christmas season that you and I would remember and be encouraged of that hope of a simple manger the promise of that eternal king and the eternal life that comes to the gospel and that good news of forgiveness that truly changes everything it changes everything and how do i know that because jesus said that and jesus always keeps his promises let's pray God, would you just help me, help us to remember this? That, God, you you keep your promises. You're true to your word and to your character and your nature. Lord, you you then help me and help us to think through them. What is it? Who are you? What things do you say? And to search your word and and to see. But we know this, that, that you are a loving God who is gracious and compassionate because you showed that in the sending of your son. And so, Lord, as we kind of walk through uh, this Christmas season, would you remind us of the grand overarching promise-keeping story that exists in the Christmas story? Would you remind us that you only keep promises. You don't break them. You don't forget them. You remain true to them. And you are the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So, Father, man, we are... So much to be grateful for this morning and the promise of hope that we have for tomorrow is one of them. Thank you. Amen.